A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Life is made up of many gorgeous moments. Cherish them all, big and small, with Blue Nile. Whether it's for yourself or a loved one, Blue Nile's unrivaled selection of expertly crafted fine jewelry and statement pieces help make all your moments sparkle. Blue Nile's experts are on hand to guide you, and their diamond guarantee ensures you get the highest quality at the best price. Celebrate a life well-lived in the most radiant way and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello, guys and girls. The program you are about to hear will be both fun and educational, but it is not a substitute for medical advice. Although we are doctors, we are not your doctors. Hello, and welcome to Travel Medicine. As always, I'm your friendly neighborhood internal medicine doc, Dr. J. Hey! Hello, you southern people down there. This is uh, Dr. Santosh. I'm phoning in from the great north up here, the Fart. land and the midnight sun. Fargo? Fargo. <laughs> no, no, I, I'm up in, uh, well, I'm currently in the town or the, the city of Anchorage, Alaska. Oh, are you yeah. having uh, 30 days of night? Uh, <laughs> not, not quite that many. I'm having like, it's like 14 days of night, uh, just enjoying a little bit of a vacation during the summer, uh, months up here, we've got the sunshine shining all the time and only about two to three hours of sunset at all. And that was actually only recently when we first got here, you could wake up at two o'clock in the morning, 2 a.m., and the sun would still be shining as if it were like 3 p.m. It was crazy. That sounds like you're living in some sort of alternate timeline or, <laughs> or a parallel world. It, or, it is. It's, or yes. a multiverse. <laughs> I, I, it feels like I'm going through a multiverse of madness, perhaps. Uh, does that make you a, a Santosh variant? Would you consider yourself a strange doctor? Absolutely, all the time. So all the other variants would likewise have to be strange doctors, more than likely. <laughs> well then, strange doctor, Santosh, do yeah, you know... Be careful, Disney's going to like... Okay, well then, <laughs> odd physician Santosh. <laughs> <laughs> that would be the best like ripoff series ever. <laughs> it's like, can't touch me, Marvel. <laughs> it's July. And even though mm. it's not it's taking place virtually, it is still yes. the month of Comic-Con. Do we take our crazy medical and historical expertise and delve into the fictional realm of those mystical colored pages that you love? We do. It's time Ooh. for another episode of <gasps> Comic Book Medicine. 
And this year's theme is a multiverse of medicine. Let's start by revisiting the Marvel world and talking about a few medical conditions in the Avengers or that you'd expect the Avengers to cause. Thor is a god of lightning. And if you get hit by lightning, forget about generating it. If you get hit by lightning, one has to imagine that medically it's less than ideal. (laughs) So a lot of different things happen to you depending on kind of the pathway that the lightning takes. So you have a very, very large discharge of electrical activity. It's going to turn into thermal damage. So, you know, it's going to kind of cook you from the inside. You've got that going on. So are lightning lightning strikes first, second, or third degree burns? I... I, oh, they don't fall under that classification, right? Correct. Because first, second, and third degrees actually talk about thickness. And in this case, an electrical burn doesn't do the same kind of thing like a pure thermal burn would do, like, you know, from the outside in. Part of the reason it's so dangerous is that so much of our body's conduction, whether it's our muscles, our heart, our signaling, is all conducted electrically. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Thor probably carries one of the highest body counts of any of the Avengers. If you were to translate, <laughs> if you were to translate, I mean, you know, you get hit by Iron Man and, you know, yeah. that's that's like getting hit by a literal car and you'll have some yeah. broken bones <laughs> and maybe a collapsed lung. You get smacked yeah. around by Captain America or, you know, with his super strength or Black Widow with like, well, the taser might be. She might, yeah, she might taser you. I mean, let's, she might just shoot you. <laughs> but but if you That's, get hit, but if, yeah. and, and then of course, arrows from Hawkeye, the, <laughs> least, the least threatening member of the Avengers. <laughs> Superhero. <laughs> but if you take a hammer to the chest with a lightning strike, I have to imagine that your average henchman is not going to be casually walking away from that. They're definitely no longer going to hench. Their their henching days are over. At best, they they can minion a little. They can't hench, <laughs> yeah. but they can minion. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but there is a a distinctive, I guess you could call it, lightning tattoo. If you survive a lightning strike, that a lot of people carry around. And oh yeah, do you know what that's called? So it, I always thought it was very very cute in comparison to what it actually is, but it's a plant term. It's called ferning, F-E-R-N-I-N-G. And it's because it kind of sort of looks like the fractal pattern of a fern. If you were to like take a fern leaf and put it in ink and then just like lay it down on your skin, they have similar patterns of that zigzaggy, you know, um, spreading out kind of lightning pattern it, uh, these these ferning or electrical treeing or if we want to give it an actual name uh we can name it after german physicist george christoph lichtenberg who originally oh, yeah. discovered and studied these lichtenberg figures the brief history of this is he built a large electrophorus kind of like when you do your your gel studies, and you create an electrical current in the fluid to move your DNA bands from one side to the other. Mm-hmm. Yep, or um, protein. 
or proteins. So he built a huge one of those to generate a high voltage static electricity. And after he would discharge this point to the surface, he would record the resulting patterns by sprinkling, by sprinkling various powdered materials onto the surface. And this was actually, you know, kind of the forerunner to modern day plasma physics. So he was studying it from a physics standpoint, but it does look like a tiny little electrical tree. And if you have a high voltage discharge, like a bolt of lightning, or a thunder god, then you could expect, <laughs> should you survive it, it would in fact leave this little pattern of branching permanent scar. They don't cause any lasting damage aside from a cosmetic effect. Although I wasn't able to find too many studies about any history of AFib or heart arrhythmias in people who have been struck by lightning. And I, I would have thought there would have been a lot more studies on lightning people. When you have an arrhythmia like that, I think a lot of them prove to be somewhat fatal, right? So the sudden death cases where the lightning travels straight through the heart and disrupts the conduction system and those people, you know, boom, they're dead. You're right, though. The survivors, the folks that, and especially some of the outliers, right? The ones who've been hit five, six, seven times and still survived. A lot of them seem to come out of the lightning strike without a lasting arrhythmia, which probably means that the, if you're able to survive, that the electrical impulse moves through, you know, muscle, heart, tissue everything else, but it doesn't necessarily disrupt those conduction fibers. Which means as, those, even fibers, as powerful as it is. those fibers have to be pretty strong because essentially a lightning strike, what we've learned to do is tame the lightning in medicine and use it on people who have uncontrolled, irregular heartbeats. And that's essentially what cardioversion is. We are delivering right. an electric shock at a fraction of the power of Thor's lightning. <laughs> well, to be very fair, though, it is extremely directed. So in this case, when you have the electrical current going through, it is somewhat scattered over the body surface area of the human being, because the shortest route between the two, uh, I guess, the poles, so the the ground in the sky is going to be over the surface. That's why if you stay in your car, right, the, the electrical charge will actually develop on the outside and the current will actually flow around. You know, you don't want to get out of your car if you have a car um, with rubber tires. So you, you kind of spread everything out. But for us, we put the paddles so that that jolt goes straight through the chest. Which got me thinking of another Marvel figure, Loki, who would, of course, <gasps> be subject to a ton of Thor's lightning strikes because, you know, sibling rivalry. <laughs> that's that's true. There have been more than a few times where I'm sure there's all the ones that we've seen on screen, but there's also like as they were growing up where, you know, someone just lost their temper and he just zapped his brain. <laughs> yeah, casual backhand with the hammer. Sure, so, sure. I mean, Loki's got to be pretty hardy. And part of the reason we know Loki, you know, can take such a beating is he's actually a frost giant. Unlike Thor, who's an Asgardian, Loki mm -hmm. is an entirely different race. And even though we usually see him looking in his human form, Tom Hiddleston-like, uh, <laughs> once or twice throughout the Marvel movies, you'll notice that his skin goes very grayish blue. 
and mm -hmm. presumably a little bit thicker because that's how the frost giants are and they also tower much higher so i'm going to go ahead and grant marvel the credit that okay maybe frost giants are a little bit more resistant to electricity and that's why he's not covered in those lichtenberg figures but sure what could be causing the blue skin aside from just you know a racial trait in frost giants well it got me thinking yeah. about medical things that can change your skin tone and there's two Ooh. that immediately come to mind uh, one is kind of a throwaway there's an antibiotic called minocycline that over a long enough time can give you a slight bluish discoloration of the skin um, yeah and we don't use it all that much anymore it also gave people terrible like vertigo. <laughs> and so it, it was one of the aminoglycosides that we tend to shy away from systemically. But the other one I thought was great because another medication that can give you kind of like a grayish skin with a bluish tint is mm -hmm. amiodarone. Do you know what amiodarone is used for? It's been a long time since I've used it. it, it I know you would use it often in a code situation, right? So if the heart was beating erratically for one reason or another, but I don't know exactly what arrhythmia you would use it for. So it's not always used just in, in codes or resuscitation, but you're right in okay. that it is used for uncontrolled, rapid, irregular heartbeats. So it's one of the medications okay. that we will load somebody up with when they're having atrial fibrillation, rapid ventricular oh. response or AFib RVR. Oh, cool. Or That's if so you got <laughs> if you got maybe an arrhythmia from getting repeatedly struck by lightning mm -hmm. over the okay. long term, and you had <laughs> to maybe take a medication to prevent <laughs> yourself from having or any of the long term effects of having uncontrolled atrial fibrillation. Okay, okay. You might be on a long term dose of amiodarone, and if the amiodarone does have some toxicities. Uh, you know, it's not a completely benign drug, but I just thought, what if Loki, you know, yes, he's a frost giant, but what if they have that blue skin? Because Thor is just wailing on this entire race all day long with oh. lightning, and he's left an entire group of people on permanent uh, heart medications that change their skin tone. <laughs> that in, an entire species of people on an entirely different world. But like all of them have to be on some sort of heart medication just because oh, here comes the lightning again. <laughs> this kind of thing. I mean, we know wow. the frost giants, the frost giants and the Asgardians frequently butt heads. And yes, they can insulate themselves with a little bit of, of cooling, but why aren't they all covered in these terrible lightning burns? Well, maybe they all just have heart arrhythmias and had to be on amiodarone. <laughs> For a really long time. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I do. I, I thought about this a little bit. And you actually, you know, when you're talking to me about this, and you know, you're sending me the ideas. There was one about met hemoglobinemia as well, where if uh, I, I think if there, he was exposed to I can't remember, was it nitrox? The other possibility was worse if they had like cyanosis all the time. <laughs> like if you know if he had trouble with his lungs or his heart and he couldn't deliver oxygen. Oh, you're talking about would... you're talking about baby Loki or blue baby oh, sure. blue baby syndrome, which is what right. happens if children drink water contaminated with nitrates or nitrate rich water. 
And right. that converts nitrates into nitrites, which bind to hemoglobin in the body, uh, as opposed to yes. the more toxic uh, adult causes of methemoglobinemia. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and it is inherited as well. So if you don't have uh, erythrocyte reductase uh, or generalized reductase, if you have deficiency in either of those, then you'll have trouble, um, you know, converting, what is it? Uh, well, I guess it's in the name, you know, the performing this reduction chemistry in your blood. And so you will have, uh, because of this lack of the cytochrome B5, you'll have this bluish kind of tinge that sits around. Now, blue baby was the other one, Josh, where you have um, a heart problem like Tetralogy of Fellow, right? Or if in an adult Loki, he was like a, a bad smoker <laughs> and he got, he got emphysema and then he wasn't oxygenating his blood properly. You know, they turned like purple to blue. I think I um, saw that variant in episode five. His name was Smokey. Yeah. <laughs> Smokey Loki. That's what they called him. He was very easy to catch though. <laughs> he was very, very easy to catch that. He couldn't be the trickster God with those conditions though, because he'd be slowed down quite a bit. And especially kids with Tetralogy of Fallot, even though they grow up, they won't have fantastic like athletic abilities. So they can't be all jumpy, flippy, knife throwy and all that. So he'd be Sloki. He'd be Sloki, yeah. <laughs> Poor Sloki. Poor Sloki and Smokey. Um, <laughs> one one of the multiple Lokis that was revealed in the show was okay. alligator Loki. Uh, they actually had a little <laughs> alligator wearing the Loki crown. Now, I'm a little disappointed in this. Not that they made him an alligator, but that they made him an alligator instead of a crocodile. Because really, alligator Loki oh. versus croaky. That's true. Yeah, that's true. And you could probably tell because of your extensive research that you've done looking at the uh, snout size and shape of an alligator versus a crocodile. Yeah, so I was I was real disappointed. They missed an opportunity to not go with croaky there. But it did get me thinking <laughs> about other combinations of animals and people or heroes and things like that. And even though we don't have an alligator Loki in the real world, you know what we do have? A spider goat. <laughs> spider goat. Spider goat. Why the hell do you make a spider goat? <laughs> Yeah, because uh, maybe you're probably thinking, oh, it's a goat that looks like a spider or a giant spider that does something goat-like. Nope, it's a goat that makes spider silk. Didn't know, yeah. that, that, was a didn't know that was a thing that was possible. It wasn't. <laughs> well, it may have over the course of, you know, millennia or nope. something like that, I, given weird evolution. I don't know. We, we, had, <laughs> we, we went to our high evolutionary or our, our genetic manipulator in Marvel. And mm -hmm. a few years back, there were some genetically modified goats who had been, now this mm -hmm. isn't CRISPR. This was a, this was the older style of genetic engineering where these goats had been transplanted with a spider's silk making genes to transform yeah. their milk, their goat milk into something that would be less drinkable, but more silky. But this was all years and years and years ago. That was around <laughs> 2010, I think. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah. And in 2013, these, these two goats, which were named Sugar and Spice, 
uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, were sure. removed from the at Canada Agricultural Museum. Even though sugar and spice have been removed from the Canada Agricultural Museum, and we don't know where they got to, off having random adventures, Dr. <laughs> Randy Lewis of Utah State University is raising 20 goats capable of producing silky milk. And it's it, the reason that he's doing this with goats and not just raising spiders to mass produce silk is uh, for a slightly <laughs> horrifying reason. If you keep a bunch of spiders in close proximity over time, they turn to infighting and cannibalism. Yeah, well, they don't have a lot of resources around, right? They're not in the wild, so they can't spin their webs and catch flies and or bad guys, just like flies. So they really just have each other to eat, and they're not above cannibalism. Yeah, but why do we care about spider silk at all? Well, it's elastic, it's biocompatible, its combined strength is about several times that of steel, and it's resistant mm -hmm. to extreme temperature variations. So really good for medical dressings, uh, bulletproof vests, and apparently underwater ship warfare to ensnare hostile <laughs> propellers because uh, this gentleman, Dr. Randy Lewis, is working for the U.S. Navy in his research. <laughs> well, uh, and just to be sure, I'm almost certain that that's not a primary goal in this particular case. But in terms of applications of the silk, if the Department of Defense comes along and says, hey, we'd like you to do this, and here is a lot of money to help you do this, you probably say, yes, I can add it to my list of projects. <laughs> you're, you're probably not going to turn that away. Uh, however, what they are doing now is they have started using CRISPR to improve the yield of silk, meaning they're just trying to get spiders and silkworms to mass produce the silk with CRISPR rather than transferring those genes from spiders and silkworms into goat milk. Uh, however, yeah. the previous method of transferring genes seems to have gone on without causing any terrible mutations, meaning it only happens when the goats are lactating and it only appears in their milk. So they're not shooting spider webs out of any other part of their body, <laughs> but they are developing silk that can be used later for potentially medical dressings, devices, and other engineering applications. <laughs> yeah, and I, I've got to say... It does make sense to be able to make the silk in much, much bigger bulk. I don't know how well it was organized into nice, beautiful threads the way that silkworms and spiders spin it. But if you have the material coming out in large amounts like this, you could probably purify it out and then work with it. You, you just basically made an inexpensive, large-scale way to make a lot of silk. So I do get why they did this. Doesn't make it any less bizarre. Spider goat, spider goat. <laughs> why are we editing spider goats? Uh, <laughs> so let's let's move on to another superhero. Now, we've come back and forth on the big green guy a lot. And we've talked about why Hulk uh, might be green from all these bruises. We've talked mm. about his radiation dermatitis. But I, in the course we, of my we research... Have yet to we have yet to talk about whether or not his genitals are green because you won't let me because evidently you're being mature all of a sudden. And it's maybe been discussed in Mallrats already 30-something <laughs> odd years ago. <laughs> I'll tell you what. What, uh, do you, what color do you think Hulk's sweat is? 
Wait, what? Listen, no, 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 no. Just Hulk, like sweat. Hulk is huh. a Hulk is a pretty active guy, and since he changes sure. from fleshy colored to giant green rage monster, one uh-huh. would presume that he might have some other physiological changes. So, uh, if Hulk were to sweat, which I'm sure he mm-hmm. does, what color do you think it would be? Well, I don't know that his sweat glands would change all that much. So, you, you know, sweat's pretty clear. It's mostly water with a bunch of salt and a little bit of oil. I guess maybe if you had, I, I, I'm not sure where the green color comes from in the actual skin. I don't think it would come out in the sweat. But if you had a lot of you know, because he's pumping his muscles a ton and making a lot of waste products. So if he's making a ton of urea and he's not peeing it all out, um, if it's some of that is coming out in the sweat, it might tinge a bit yellow. I, I think it would maybe stink to high heaven, but I can't think of why the, the color of the sweat would change. Well, I was trying to think of other th- reasons that Hulk might turn green, and I came across a medical condition that causes people to sweat in color, in technicolor. <laughs> no. Yes. It's called chromihydrosis. And okay. it wow. manifests. Now it's not a heart it's it's a fairly rare condition. And okay. it's not something that shortens anybody's lifespan and it definitely doesn't give you superpowers. It's just this weird thing, which these are all fun Google searches on this episode, <laughs> folks. But Okay. That's, I've never heard of this chromohydrosis. Chromohydrosis manifests with okay. colored sweat on the face, underarms, or the areola of the breasts, and the sweat can okay. be yellow, green, mm-hmm. blue, okay. brown, or black. Oh, so I, we, yeah, we have many colors of Hulk, actually. For those of you all who don't know your comic books, I guess there's like all the colors of the rainbow of Hulk. <laughs> uh, there's a lot. Hulk, Hulk has been okay. many colors over the years, but okay, gotcha. uh, sweat in people with chromihydrosis can be yellow, green, blue, brown, or black. Now, okay. why? <laughs> well, there's a <laughs> pigment produced in the sweat glands called lipofusion, which is okay. very common in human cells. It carries out some basic physiologic functions, but for some unknown reason, People who have this condition, chromihydrosis, have much, much higher concentrations of lipofusion or lipofusion that's in a higher than normal state of oxidation that then causes them to sweat in these colors. There, This is, again, another area where there is not a ton of research, largely because having different colored sweat is not something that scientists have felt the need to investigate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah this is... It's a it's a benign and weird condition, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to garner enough money in order to study this kind of a condition because it's you know oh you sweat from funny colors that's about it. it. It is a faint color, and the reason it's actually probably somewhat underreported is that it is far more common in African Americans. So unless oh, they are sweating bright blue or green, you're probably not going to notice brown or black sweat on a brown or black person. Sure, they might, sense. but they <laughs> might not. Um, right. How often do you really okay. look at the color of your sweat? A lot more often after this episode, I'm betting. <laughs> sure, sure. Okay. Uh, well, this is super cool. So you're thinking maybe this creates all the colors of the Hulk? 
Can I'm you thinking paint that... with all the colors <laughs> of the Hulk? <laughs> Have you ever heard the Hulk sweat from a green to blue? <laughs> or asked his baggy sweatpants where they've been? <laughs> I'm just trying to imagine like a Pocahontas. <laughs> Can you rage with all the colors of the banner? <laughs> <laughs> Can you paint with all the colors of the Hulk? (laughs) Uh, A couple other just fun points that could be equally contributory, if not totally responsible for Hulk's color. Uh, Bacteria infections with Pseudomonas, one of your favorite bacteria's Santosh. uh, Oh, yeah, absolutely. Has been known to cause green-colored nails. Mm -hmm. Yes. And... And it looks like with chromihydrosis, sorry, I know I'm Googling as we're talking, but this was just fascinating. It looks like there is implication of bacteria in the skin that would process or eat some of these fats and oils and then produce colors as part of their metabolites. So carini bacterium, which make up a lot of our skin flora, and uh, carini bacterium is best known from diphtheria, but these are more benign carini bacterium. So they can probably, you know, be implicated in part of this as well because they can eat some of those. And then the subsequent metabolites, like bacteria don't really poop, <laughs> but they turn one thing into another, like they'll process sugar and then ferment it into alcohol. This is the same kind of thing, but it can create a dye or a pigment. Does bacteria change the colors of your skin? Uh, <laughs> all right, I'm done. I'm done with that song. I promise. <laughs> but I will throw in one no, no. more. I will what? throw in one more color changing. Yeah, uh, yeah. Disease, which is leukemia. In fact. Oh uh, yes, yes. On occasion, and it's rare, as are all of these, but leukemia spreading into the skin can also sometimes appear green in areas of tumors or swelling, and these lesions are called chloromas. Now, this does not give you the ability to metabolize sunlight like chlorophyll, but it does share a root <laughs> with that. It does make patches of your skin look green. So I'm figuring green. Ma- <laughs> between maybe some form of leukemia from the gamma radiation. Uh, okay, radiation okay. dermatitis, chromihydrosis, and because he's so immunocompromised, pseudomonas, we have now figured out a way to explain Hulk being green from head to toe. <laughs> That's fantastic. And you had discussed with me and uh, you know, got me to kind of think a little bit about how the She-Hulk, which we will be seeing in upcoming movies, I think, or is it a series? It's going to be a series, uh, which it's will have be a cameos from Hulk and Abomination and other Hulk-related figures. Uh, so okay. what did I tell you about She-Hulk? Do you, do you recall how she got her powers? Yeah, yeah. You told me she's a lawyer, first of all. She's not a crazy, high-energy physicist kind of person. She's a lawyer. And she got a blood transfusion. I, I'm trying to think of the wacky-ass scenario where Bruce Banner would donate his blood. <laughs> I mean, I know he'd donate his blood for research and that kind of thing, but you'd think he'd like stomp over to the Red Cross and be like, Hulk, donate. 
<laughs> but he, she got a blood transfusion, huh, from Bruce. So Jennifer Walters is the cousin of Bruce Banner. And after okay, being okay. shot by a mobster and seriously injured, she was saved by a blood transfusion from Bruce and his gamma irradiated blood. Presumably this was done in the field because otherwise you're right. There's no reason that they had to be like, is there anyone who's a match? And when they could have just taken <laughs> any blood bank. Yeah, yeah, just O negative, right? Universal donor. Yeah. Um, so okay. She-Hulk did continue her day job as super female lawyer, green and really <laughs> strong. Uh, but <laughs> because it was a blood transfusion and therefore diluted Hulkness, sure. she, she was able... Yeah to control her rage and instead of developing kind of the split personality that bruce and the hulk did uh she is more like smart hulk from endgame where she's big she's green she's intelligent in full control of her faculties and just carrying on as the most intimidating lawyer ever what are the diseases that we currently screen blood for um rather than going sure. to all the things that you can get through a blood transfusion when you go to donate blood as Bruce might, they're clearly not screening yes. for gamma irradiation. But what are they looking for? Yeah, so you have an array of uh, metabolic or genetic diseases, and then you have an array of mostly infectious diseases. So if you were to say, like Josh, the color change, you know, and you were talking about his, he's immunocompromised and you know, maybe he has pseudomonas kind of intermittently showing up, causing, you know, it, it populates the skin and then, you know, it eats some sweat and stuff and it's a chromogenic bacteria. So then it excretes yellow and green metabolites on the skin. So that could, you know, a bacterial infection, for instance, like that could go along. Those are largely, largely screened out. But, you know, if, if this was an emergency situation or some kind of, you know, freak transfusion, just got to go, just got to move right now. I was actually thinking about hepatitis viruses. So we screened for hepatitis B and hepatitis C, and she wouldn't turn green. She would be jaundiced. So she would eventually turn green, but by that time, she'd be very like wasted and emaciated rather than being all hulky. Yellow Hulk. <laughs> yellow, yellow Hulk, and it would be yellowish green Hulk with, by the way, much more intimidating yellow green, um, the whites of your eyes, your sclera. Because you know, the, the conjunctiva also become, you know, uh, you know, uh, flooded with bilirubin. So you turn yellow green over there. Uh, but you would also be like, eh, type of all because your liver is dead. And you're slowly being poisoned by, you know, the toxins that your body is creating day in, day out that your liver isn't clearing out so that was actually the first place my mind went to was hepatitis either b or c because that would certainly be transmissible if you missed it in a, in a in a blood transfusion and these will all be screened for before your blood is used so even if you have these yes. diseases you can still donate blood they'll just look at your blood and say uh thank you and put it into the circular filing cabinet yeah, <laughs> that's true. That's true. You are allowed to anonymously, for one reason or another, just say that, you know, I, I don't want to talk about my my conditions, but I'd still like to try and donate. And Josh, believe it or not, because of the wonderful successes we've been having with antivirals for hep B and hep C, 
we may be moving into an era where those people with those diseases, because you suppress out the virus with the antivirals that they are able to donate soon. So that's another, I know it's a complete different sidebar, but if, if we were in an era before we were screening, or if the blood transfusion, again, had to be like super, super quick, and for whatever reason, Bruce Banner had hepatitis B or C, so he, he would potentially transmit that. He would not be able to transmit true genetic uh, chromihydrosis because that would be uh, you know, a, a gene that's switched on in the sweat glands in the skin. So and you that also, would be different. Yeah. And you also can't transmit radiation damage. So somebody who's right. been transfused yes. would have blood that probably wouldn't be useful because it'd be so weakened <laughs> and destroyed. Um, yes. But they wouldn't yes. be able to give a leukemia or a cancer in blood transfusions. It's really mostly infectious diseases, uh, largely viral these days that are screened for. There's a few bacterial ones, but it's much there less is. likely to get to get a bacterial infection via a blood transfusion than it is to get a viral infection. Yeah, I I was thinking a little bit about if Bruce Banner was actively giving off radiation in in like if he himself like was irradiated. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, but, you know, several thousand bananas worth of radiation. Like if if he were an active source of radiation, then, you know, those when you have radiation going out, then you do get irradiated particles, which would be floating around in blood. And, you know, that if you donated that, yes, it would be kind of like giving radiation the same way as if you just took a person and took them into a place where, you know, which had been irradiated, but it hadn't decayed yet, you know? So you could do that, but I, I don't think the Hulk works that way. I don't think he gives off radiation. Well, if bananas can give off radiation that is detectable, <laughs> then, yeah, yeah, but then the, the Hulk would <laughs> certainly be presumed to give off low levels of gamma radiation and maybe not enough to affect his teammates, but enough to yeah. affect a change of his cousin from the inside out. I guess it really depends how good Hulk's blood is. That's what we need. Yeah. We need a superhero who is a hematologist, and I think Sony <laughs> has that coming up with the Morbius movie. Michael Morbius, oh, the living cool. vampire. Uh, but we'll okay, save him okay. for another episode, and we'll drift away from the Marvel Universe briefly, because I do like to explore some other comics and comic properties now this okay. next one was a request by you santosh you you wanted me to find something medical in the world of the witcher because i know you just could not wait to toss a coin to your witcher yeah <laughs> i couldn't i have seen now the series on netflix several times and i had to because the for those who haven't watched it uh, I, I know a lot of you guys have probably played the video games. There's an update coming to your Wild Hunt, right? You're getting some cool updates to the The Witcher 3. But the series tells one of the story arcs from the original novels with uh, Superman, Henry Cavill, playing an amazing uh, Geralt of Rivia. And it, it's in a strange kind of time loop. But it was so much fun to watch. And there were little bits here when they were talking about mutation. Oh, sorry, sorry, Josh. <clears throat> Mutations. 
<laughs> yeah. Everyone, everyone <laughs> in the Witcherverse talks like this. <laughs> so the Witcher takes place in a a, a faux medieval European world, mm-hmm. um, and it is a world where like myths and legends are petty and cruel. Nope, nope, that's Hercules. Uh, uh, the Witcher you, lives in a world. Have to do the the whole thing. I almost I almost went into it. Uh, okay. But the Witcher <laughs> takes place in a European medieval equivalent setting where monsters, fantasy monsters, walk the earth, and there is a class of not really superheroes, but uh, genetically altered mercenaries known as Witchers, who are capable of killing. They kind of wander town to town, and they're hired to kill these monsters. Now, yeah, it's it's a vocation. They they that's actually they're specifically mutated for this job. Um, but it's not something that they ever volunteered for. Most of them were taken as kids, turned into these uh, witchers, and then set loose mm-hmm. in a world that hates, fears, and only mildly respects them. But an interesting thing in the world of the witcher is that in order to carry out their job, they have access to some very limited amounts of magic and drink a lot of potions uh, that fortify them, that give them abilities to see in the dark or breathe underwater or do other video game related things if you need them to. <laughs> but in the stories, sure. they do drink a lot of potions. And as a general rule in the Witcher universe, only these witchers who are mutants can safely imbibe the Witcher potions due to the fact that they have a bolstered immune system and higher tolerance to potions that would kill an ordinary human. I'll get into that in a moment. However, there mm-hmm. are a few cases where humans have been able to drink these witcher potions safely or very specifically safely. So I wanted to talk a little bit about toxicity or potion toxicity in the world of the witcher. And oh, what does that cool. mean? Because okay. in the video game, if you drink potions you have a certain toxicity level. And if you get too toxic, then it changes your vision. You basically get a massive hangover and almost certain death in the video game because you'll be too weak uh, to do anything. So what Mm. does toxicity mean? Well, in infectious disease, it's the number of bacteria required to cause a perceptible infection. For example, Shiga is highly toxic. And we've, we've talked about that pretty recently. Um, oh yeah, yeah. We you're, you did a beautiful presentation on the on shigalosis. Whereas other bacteria, for example, maybe your common cold has a much lower toxicity, uh, meaning you don't. Well, it's a virus, but there are yes. there are uh, upper respiratory infections, uh, maybe Klebsiella, that require much higher numbers to be absorbed of the bacteria before you start seeing a toxic effect or an infection. Right. So where are you getting all these toxicity in the potions? Well, uh, when witchers go out and hunt all these creatures, like these fish people and dragons and genies and swamp dwellers, uh, they save the bits and pieces from the creatures they kill, sometimes for trophies, sometimes to complete the job, and sometimes as potion ingredients. So many witcher potions are made with monster parts, and presumably these monsters are living in stagnant, you know, in stank water, in uh, stagnant swamps, in deep woods. They're probably not terribly hygienic. 
So they're probably carrying around not only human bacteria, but their own monster bacteria and microbiome and infections. So really, when you're looking at a witcher having a mutation or a boosted immune system, it seems like really they just have an immune system that can deal with some of these monster-based infections, and that's what they make out of their poster. You want to know what a witcher potion is? It's basically, mm. uh, what do they call that bacteria soda that everybody loves? Oh, uh, kombucha? <laughs> yep, there you go. Witcher potions okay. are effectively... Very nice. Uh, right? Because that's what kombucha <laughs> is. It's, it is. it's a very specific fermented bacteria that, I don't know, can, can people who are pregnant or immunocompromised drink kombucha? Or is that something that they're limited from? So when we have patients who are on leukemia protocols, we actually limit all kinds of bacteria-laden foods. So fermented foods for sure, so including kombucha. But when they're getting chemo, we even limit foods like apples and vegetables because those fruits and vegetables will naturally have bacteria living on them, which for you and me, absolutely no big deal no big no problem at all but when they're in the very very depths of neutropenia you basically want to limit their food and it sounds counterintuitive to health but you want that food to be a little bit like kind of processed um either canned or packaged or something like that so that it's largely free <laughs> of of those kind of uh, bacterial loads. So definitely our deeply neutropenic patients and then the folks who are going through like stem cell transplant, if they're going through bone marrow transplant and you're knocking down their immune systems completely, you say no, you can definitely not have those foods. So when we're seeing witchers walk around consuming potions, that's essentially what they're doing. They're walking around drinking huge things made up of natural organic monster bacteria and a few probably <laughs> minerals and plants, um, all of which interact with each other. So they have to be their own pharmacists as well as warriors <laughs> and doctors. <laughs> Uh, sure, sure. And one of the big things in the Witcher stories is that they take these kids who are just normal for their world and they undergo this trial of the grasses to become mutated. And only, you know, one out of every four or five kids survives the process. And they never really go into what that process is. And that, that also got me thinking, well, okay, they become mutated. So they increase their immune system to tolerate it. They often gain golden eyes uh, boosted mm -hmm. immunity, faster reflexes. And this has me wondering, were they undergoing some medieval form of immunotherapy or CRISPR, feeding them different potions, slowly introducing and desensitizing them to the bacterial infections, and then giving them a huge dose or some kind of genetic engineering, maybe like, I don't know, the, uh, the plants that they take in Wakanda to commune with the spirit world. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, the, I know I'm mixing I'm mixing herb. properties here, but No, 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 but that that's actually okay. So for the sake of the immune system, if you did boost and bolster the immune system with CRISPR, right? You could very very much do this. This also makes sense, Josh, why they have like such a because what what is it? Like 1 in 10 kids actually survive? Yeah, it's is a very true? low number. 
Yeah, it's it's an extremely known low number. Uh, one in ten kids actually survive it. So this is it's not the same as stem cell transplant nowadays. But early on, you can imagine when we didn't have the kind of you know we didn't have big industrial HEPA filters and we couldn't protect kids the way that we can today when we do a stem cell transplant. If you were to take their own cells, right? And then you bolstered their immune system by messing with things like their major histocompatibility complex, so their MHC, which is part of the gene set that helps create your very own antibodies, your repertoire of antibodies, and T-cell receptors, and you know these really important fundamental parts of your immune system. And then you challenged it, right? So you challenged it with various bacteria so that you gain the memory of those. So basically vaccinating, but instead of vaccinating, just basically you know, giving them the whole disease, you know, while they're reshaping their immune system. This would be a very, very harrowing thing, but it is something that you could do conceivably with an advanced form of CRISPR to muck up with their immune system. Now, this won't give them all the other physiologic stuff. Like it won't give them the well, you know, the let's super talk strength about, or the eyes or stuff. Well, no, they don't have but they it, don't have super strength. They have faster reflexes oh. from consuming a lot of these potions. What they get is the oh, ability okay. to drink potions and they gain golden eyes, but think about it. You know, another condition that can give you a sort of semi-golden eyes in the real world is a non-pathologic condition known as Gilbert syndrome where oh, sure, yeah. you essentially have a issue with uh, processing your bile that whenever your body gets stressed, whether from infection or challenge or things like that, you tend to have a buildup and breakdown of bile, which can cause a little bit of jaundice, uh, usually just seen in the eyes, but a little bit of jaundice without all the other problems from having liver disease. So if this immunotherapy, this witcher process is giving them maybe a stronger liver to break down toxins, stronger kidneys to filter out, but mm -hmm. hyperbilirubin production. So a witcher version of Gilbert syndrome. Now you've got the golden eyes. You have the ability to consume these toxic potions that can give you boosts to your abilities like faster reflexes. Uh, you may even be a little bit hyperthyroid. Um, so oh, that okay, could explain... Gotcha. That could explain all these. And the reason I specifically bring up the thyroid is one of the potions that humans can safely drink in the Witcher universe is known as Swallow. And so the potion okay. called Swallow, uh, they describe in the book, is it has the effect of accelerating the rate at which the body regenerates or carries out its activities. Now, in okay. the story I read, Geralt, the witcher, chooses to give Swallow to a dying woman so she can recover from her wounds. And the entry... These are, these are battle wounds, like cuts and yeah, stabs. Yeah, so she's, been, kind of she's been terribly wounded by a monster, and she's a human. So Geralt says, would okay. you like... You know, Geralt offers her one of his witcher healing potions, this potion Swallow. And sure. then he remarks in his journal that though the wounds on Lena's body healed... The toxins in the witcher's brew had melted her mind. This was not the first time a cure had proven worse than the disease. This implies that even though her body was healed, maybe from the bacteria or whatever, she had severe yeah. liver or brain damage. If, her, if it melted her mind, she could be encephalopathic from 
you know, like a liver disease, or maybe she had a stroke from a meningitis mm-hmm. or something like that. And a potion you could that shock the kidneys and get uremia. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And a potion okay. that accelerates your rate at which body does anything. Well, your body's metabolism is largely controlled by your thyroid. So a potion like this was probably an early version of Synthroid or a thyroid hormone. That's an interesting thought. I also came up with if you're accelerating the healing pathways, right? Like the clotting cascade. Mm -hmm. So that would actually help you patch up wounds. So if you had something like a venous or an arterial bleed, that you'd actually kind of cap it, but it would have to be accelerated in a very controlled fashion. Because if you, for instance, if what you were giving was an oral form of like a clotting factor, which we don't have now, but you know, this is the magical universe, but you were giving something which would help clot, or maybe even Josh, like a venom, like a snake venom or a spider venom, which could help with clotting so that your open wounds could heal up. If it accelerated too far out of control and you didn't have the genetics or the physiology to handle it, given their mutations, then it would accelerate to forming intravascular clots, just like you're saying, having a stroke. And then, you know, you, you cut off the carotids or one of the major vessels in the brain and boom, you get an infarct. And again, the body is healed, but the mind yeah. is gone. And in that case, you actually probably wouldn't even have the body healed, which is why I'm still, because you'd have some <laughs> weakness. Well, no, you'd have weakness in the limbs, even if oh, sure. the, the bleeding wounds had closed. So I'm, I personally am leaning more towards like a thyroid based for, for some of these potions, but okay, it okay. all sounds like the witchers kind of live in a world where at least the mages, the magic users in that world have figured out some way of performing immunotherapy or CRISPR, uh, in a fan, you know, with a fantasy setting. With a fantasy twist, with a little magical twist. What a twist. Uh, <laughs> now, because we brought up the, you know, they take these kids as babies and what happens if you change a baby's immune system, this makes me veer over into two split stories. One, a story in the DC universe about the Young Justice team. Uh, there okay. was a run on Young Justice uh, known as the Outsider. Young Justice Outsiders was mm-hmm. a yeah. storyline that raised some really interesting questions about super ethics. And to give you, and these are not the senior members of the Justice League. These are like the kids and the cousins and the friends and things like that. But one of yeah, the, the really the interesting ones, one of the interesting storylines they do, one, two of the heroes are basically are having a kid, and the superpowered female is very pregnant with their child. But they've done genetic testing, and they found the kid is going to be born as a normie as a normal kid, which, you know, the father is fine with and the mother is original. But then due to various medical issues, the mother shrinks down very, very tiny. Uh, You know, she she suddenly goes into labor and they rush off to a hospital in the middle of a snowstorm. Karen gives birth and the parents are elated to meet the baby girl, but devastated to be to learn that she's been born with a hole in her heart. Now, this is operable. But because they're trapped in the middle of, say, an Alaskan snowstorm, um, <laughs> yeah. they're, 
there isn't a surgeon who can travel to the hospital. So this superhero decides to take matters into her own hands, and she shrinks herself down to fit into the tip of a needle with a plan to patch her baby's heart while being guided remotely by a regular-sized OB-GYN who just delivered the baby. Oh, okay. So, and I'm assuming that there's some... There's some fun things in here, like they have the ability to communicate with a teeny tiny walkie-talkie or something. Yeah, radio and all those. All this is – it's fun, but it's standard comic book fare. Uh, It starts becoming more intriguing as thinking about the conversations they had. So they fix the baby's heart, but then she pulls an Ant-Man and she begins to continue shrinking to the molecular size – and okay. she starts manipulating her baby's DNA by hand, coaxing the molecules into a new form to unlock something, dot, 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 see you next issue. <laughs> but the idea being oh, is that she's trying to shrink down low enough to give her baby the ability to be a super, to make those changes to the DNA. Um, gotcha. So I'm, I'm already seeing a bunch of problems with this, but yeah, go ahead. Go on. Yeah, so ethically this raises a whole bunch of problems, but now, as we often do in the world of comic book medicine, I'm going to pull this out of the pages of the comics and into the real world. Do you happen to recall a couple of years back where a scientist in China bragged that he had created the first CRISPR genetically altered babies who he had imbued with resistance to HIV. There are two T cell receptors. So CXCR4, um, I believe the other one is uh, uh, CXCL5 maybe. Uh, but um, the if, if you have a certain mutation on those T cell receptors, those that's the way that HIV gets into your cell is it, it it stands like a little tripod and one leg sits in the actual T cell receptor and the other are these chemokine receptors. And if you have a certain mutation, then HIV just cannot invade. It doesn't impair your immune system or anything, or it doesn't seem to. Um, but if, if you just have that mutation, the only thing we know about is that it seems to grant you this immunity to HIV. So this guy did this on embryos, I believe, Josh. So after the embryos had already been created, like sperm fertilizing the egg, and I think he got twins, and he announced this to the world, I think with the Chinese government's permission and the ethical... (laughs) Well, maybe uh, maybe with their permission... Maybe with their yeah. permission initially, but it's been about right. two years as as of when this episode airs. It's been about two to three sure. years since Hei Jean Kui, a Chinese researcher and now ex-professor at uh, yes. Southern University of <laughs> Science University, and Technology yeah. in Shenzhen, uh-huh. created the first, as you said, germline edited babies. Edited, you know, while they were still kind of in the womb or even before then. Uh, this, yeah. He then announced it when they had already been born, so no no take backsies, and was sentenced yeah, yeah. <laughs> and was sentenced to three years of prison for violating government bans on gene editing human embryos for reproductive purposes, and he had right. claimed to give the twins Lulu and Nana resistance to HIV by disabling the gene CCR5 that allows HIV to enter cells. However, right. so this this is the one. This is uh, sorry, CCR five is the one. So it's the third leg of the tripod. However, also there was a third child born that they didn't mention. But but we'll get to that oh, in a second. Okay. 
Uh, sounds. <laughs> this already sounds like the buildup to a great comic book story, right? A third child was born. Yeah. <laughs> um, so a court found that he and his two collaborators had forged ethical review doctors and misled doctors into unknowingly implanting gene-edited embryos. And one yeah. of those women gave birth to twins. That was Lulu and Nana. And it's not clear even now where the third child was born. And there's really very little information about them at all. Uh, He was also fined 3 million yuan, or about 350,000 pounds, and the government tightened restrictions on genome editing policies, and everyone was like, ah, this is irresponsible, premature, and unjustified. Well, someone finally got a hold of his manuscript and said, woo boy, if you thought the problems were just from the ethical implications, then you have got another think coming, because the biggest finding widespread mosaicism in both twins oh no okay okay there's this means the edits to the gene were not displayed uniformly in the cells meaning not every cell had a copy of this hiv blocking gene some had two copies some had none maybe the left elbow was full of copies and the right toe had nothing um yeah so (laughs) so it if you want a, a like a physical illustration of mosaicism, uh, go look at a calico cat. That's what a mosaic gene looks like. <laughs> hey, Jean Cui also only managed to edit half of Lulu's CCR5 genes, and the rest are completely normal, meaning she's either heterozygous, with every cell in her body having one normal copy of CCR5 and one edited copy, or mosaic. Half of her cells have two edited copies, and half have two normal. Uh which means Yay. that both twins, if they're mosaics, both twins could in fact be completely and totally vulnerable to HIV. Well, see, the issue with mosaicism here, Josh, which is worrisome. So you're, every single cell in your body is a clone, right? So if I take Josh cells from the skin and Josh cells from your bone marrow, they're going to have the exact same DNA, right? But the difference is going to be that there's going to be a bunch of genes that are shut off or inactivated in the bone marrow and turned on in the skin and vice versa that causes cellular differentiation. The, the twins were at no risk of contracting HIV to begin with. And even if they had, there's, you know, the deactivation of CCR5 doesn't bestow complete immunity as strains yeah. can enter healthy cells through different proteins. Not to mention the remaining 200 to 300 cells which went on to multiply and make up Lulu and Nana, were not assessed. And so it's possible off-target edits or mutations could be present undoing the work. And they didn't even do the work they intended to do. It was supposed to be a small section of CCR5 was intended to be deleted to mimic a naturally occurring mutation. And according to a biochemist uh, reviewer from the University of Massachusetts, not only is there no sign of this mutation we'll call Delta 32 in either girl, but Lulu has an entirely different CCR5 mutation and Nana has two different ones. So his edits were in the same area where the mutation would have been, but it's not the same as the naturally occurring mutation. So this oh, happened. God damn it, Sky. So, I mean, here's the thing. This happened two years ago. Why are we mentioning this now? Well, this is some serious unresolved safety concerns and ethical implications. So this paper needs to be published so the full details can be discussed and measures can be taken to help prevent this kind of work from taking place in secret. These kids are going to grow up. 
And they're going to be told at some point, I hope they are told, that this was done to them against their will and when they had no chance to consent. But here's the biggest trouble with this, Josh. When you make a germline mutation, okay, you are causing a generational problem. So this is not an issue for just Lulu and Nana. This is a problem now, along with all the other perhaps genetic mishaps that have happened. If these genetic changes happened in the cells that, you know, also make up Lulu and Nana's ovaries, for instance, and their eggs, now you have an issue where their kids are affected by these mutations and those kids and those kids and those kids. So that's, that's a terrible, terrible thing to do to not just one person, but an entire, like a dynasty. And it's not even a good mutant power. Like they didn't even get colored sweat out of this. They got (laughs) maybe, maybe a little bit of resistance to HIV and maybe none, maybe nothing happened. So Terrible. I mean, yeah. we are failing at creating X Men left and right, folks. <laughs> uh, we're we're the, bad at it, yeah. But the last one, and we'll stay in the DC universe. I wanted to go back to Batman because there's a new Batman movie coming out soon uh, by Matt Reeves. Oh, yeah. Oh, Batman okay. was always fun because the, he has such a great rogues gallery, like one of the best villains galleries out there. And yes. while the vast majority. Yeah of batman's villains are usually held up as examples of psychological or mental health issues there are one Mm -hmm. or two who have what could be actual medical conditions so this is one that it's a congenital condition you're you're born with it but i wanted to bring up uh one of my favorites parry romberg syndrome or the disease that makes you look like two-face Oh, oh, oh dear. Okay. Right? Because we find symmetry attractive. People from every culture in the world routinely rate more symmetrical faces. And Two-Face is about as uh, asymmetrical as you can get. Now, in his case, it was the usual Batman excuse of falling into a vat of acid or, you know, facing the wrong way into an explosion or yada, yada, yada. The point being, half his face is normal and half is monstrous and atrophied and drooping and just makes him look like a villain. Well, you may not be aware, but this is a real medical condition. So while you go ahead and Google image that, Harry Romberg syndrome wrecks all of just one side of your face. And it's just your face. It doesn't go after the rest of the body. It selectively attacks your face until the tissues have atrophied and withered up, leaving your face lopsided. They think it could be caused by an autoimmune disorder and largely... It tends to affect more than anybody else, females between the ages of 5 and 15 years old. In this kind of DC universe, Two-Face, uh, Harvey Dent would be like Harriet Dent or something like that. Right, and this would have been something that they would have grown up with from their teen years. Like they would have started to feel gotcha. their face kind of atrophy, not to mention it's often accompanied by severe pain from the forehead all the way through the cheek and jaw along the distribution of one of the cranial nerves uh, we call the trigeminal nerve. Okay, gotcha. So this is actually, there may be a genetic component. There's almost certainly a genetic component, but this is progressive focal destruction. It's not like it's a malformation. Right. It is is having a stroke 
kind of, on just one side of your face that continues to get worse while the rest of your body stays fine. Your mental faculties stay fine. It's all cosmetic burning musculature pain. And Wow. In some of these, it really does look like, I mean, this is, it's a bit sad. It really does look like the face is melting off. In one out of three cases, the condition worsens to the point that the sufferer can no longer open or close their jaw at all. And if you think about how Two-Face talks, always out of one side of his mouth while the other half is kind of glued shut, uh, that may be why. Unfortunately, you know, as par for the course with a lot of our more interesting diseases, treatment options are limited and you can't really stop the progress of the disorder. Although after it's run its course and your face is totally melted, you can get reconstructive surgery and you do see a very uh, brisk market for plastic surgeons in that. Um, Now, the good news is Perry Romberg isn't fatal. I would love to sure, see sure. A, an Elseworlds, which is DC's multiverse. I would love to see an Elseworlds issue where we see a female Two-Face with Perry Romberg, because then she doesn't have to be subjected to acid oh, yeah. or organics or whatever. It's just, nope, you were born like this and became a villain because everybody treated you like one from an early age. Oh. And uh, that's it for this year's <laughs> comic book medicine. It... <laughs> Also brings us to the end of season seven of Travel Medicine. So we'll be back in October for season eight. Thanks everyone for joining us for another wonderful season. And uh, until next time, as always, we love to hear your comments, questions, and feedback. Support us spiritually, emotionally, or financially. Links to do that are in the show notes. This show is produced by me with a lot of help from Dr. Santosh and Friends. Our theme music is composed by Rachel Leisure. And until next time, as always, stay safe, wear a mask, wash your hands, get your vaccine. And once all that's done, happy travels. Bye, everybody. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24.